The conquest of love, honor, men's confidence, the pride of it, the power of it, are fit materials for a heroic tale. Only our minds are struck by the externals of such a success, and to Jim's successes there were no externals. Thirty miles of forest shut it off from the sight of an indifferent world, and the noise of the white surf along the coast overpowered the voice of fame. The stream of civilization, as if divided on a headland a hundred miles north of Patterson, branches east and southeast, leaving its plains and valleys, its old trees and its old mankind, neglected and isolated, such as an insignificant and crumbling islet between the two branches of a mighty, devouring stream. You find the name of the country pretty often in collections of old voyages. The seventeenth-century traders went there for pepper, because the passion for pepper seemed to burn like a flame of love in the breast of Dutch and English adventurers about the time of James I. Where wouldn't they go for pepper? For a bag of pepper they would cut each other's throats without hesitation, and would forswear their souls, of which they were so careful otherwise. The bizarre obstinacy of that desire made them defy death in a thousand shapes. The unknown seas, the loathsome and strange diseases, wounds, captivity, hunger, pestilence, and despair. It made them great. By heavens, it made them heroic, and it made them pathetic, too, in their craving for trade with the... Jim, on his side of the creek, stood thinking and switching his leg. The houses in view were silent, as if a pestilence had swept them clean of every breath of life. But many invisible eyes were turned from within upon the two men with the creek between them, a stranded white boat and the body of the third man half sunk in the mud. On the river canoes were moving again, for Patterson was recovering its belief in the stability of earthly institutions since the return of the White Lord. The right bank, the platforms of the houses, the rafts moored along the shores, even the roofs of bathing huts were covered with people that, far away, out of earshot and almost out of sight, were straining their eyes towards the knoll beyond the Rajah's stockade. Within the wide, irregular ring of forests, broken into places by the sheen of the river, there was a silence. "'Will you promise to leave the coast?' Jim asked. Brown lifted and let fall his hand, giving everything up, as it were, accepting the inevitable. "'And surrender your arms?' Jim went on. Brown sat up and glared across. Surrender our arms. Not till you come to take them out of our stiff hands. You think I am gone crazy with funk? Oh, no. That and the rags I stand in is all I have got in the world besides a few more breechloaders on board. And I expect to sell the lot in Madagascar, if I ever get so far, begging my way from ship to ship. Jim said nothing to this. At last, throwing away the switch he held in his hand, he said, as if speaking to himself, 
I don't know whether I have the power. You don't know. And you wanted me just now to give up my arms? That's good, too, cried Brown. Suppose they say one thing to you and do the other thing to me. He calmed down markedly. I dare say you have the power, or what's the meaning of all this talk? He continued. What did you come down here for, to pass the time of day? Very well, said Jim, lifting his head suddenly after a long silence. You shall have a clear road or else a clear fight. He turned on his heel and walked away. (laughs) 